0: The goal or the ultimate purpose of life is to end in happiness. The goal or the ultimate purpose of life is to end in In happiness. Aristotle, the Greek philosopher, said this nearly 2,000 years ago. The goal or the ultimate end purpose in life is to end in happiness. Sometimes we think uh, a story with a happy ending, a story that ends happily ever after, is something of modern convention, but actually, from the very beginning, we have all been longing. We're longing for the happy ending. We're longing to hear those words, happily ever after. Why, especially at Christmas time, why do we watch the same movies over and over again? Why do we watch Miracle on 34th Street? Why do we watch Elf? Why do we watch Christmas Vacation? Why do we watch A White Christmas? Why do we watch The Christmas Story? Why do we watch Fill in the Blank, whatever it might be? Why? Because we love, we know the story, we memorize the lines, but we love a story with a happy ending. And ultimately, deep down inside, regardless of what you believe this morning, whether you believe in God or not, what that is saying about all of us is that deep down inside, we long for redemption. There's something in each one of us, whether you believe in God or not this morning, that longs for redemption. You long for that day where all of the craziness of life, the brokenness of life, the burdens of life will somehow, some way, be wiped away. And from the beginning, we have been longing for this. We've been longing for redemption. The problem is our lives don't resemble the movies, do they? They don't resemble these books. They don't resemble these television shows, especially this time of year. Just this week, a woman in our church was diagnosed with cancer. Just this week, somebody found out that they lost their child. They had run away, and they can't find them. Just this week, we found out that two people I know of have lost their jobs. Just this year, two people have lost their spouses. We live in a world that is broken and hurting. We don't live in a world that has the fairy tale ending, but we long for it. We long for redemption. We long to hear those words, happily ever after. And so it begs the question, if this life with all of the problems and all of the burdens and all of the strife that comes in this world and in this life, it begs the question, how will this story end for us? Is God really the one that not only makes the promise, but is enabled to keep the promise as well? And so that's why we go to the very end this morning. As I said before I prayed, we started at the beginning and we go to the end. And the Bible story ends in where? It ends in a heavenly city. It ends in the city of God. And what we see here in Revelation 22, in the very first part, we see that there's a throne. Not only is it the city of God, it, it is a kingdom that has been established in the city of God. And who is on the throne? The lamb. The lamb that we read about last week in Isaiah 53, the lamb that was slain, the lamb that stood as a sacrifice and a substitute for you, is sitting on the throne. And it's a vision of the city of God. The city is now a kingdom. The lamb is on the throne, and that lamb is Jesus Christ, the promised one, the one that was promised to us all the way back in Genesis 3.15, the child that has come is now a king. And so I want us to look at briefly this morning, before we celebrate communion, I want us to look at three big ideas here in Revelation 22 to show us how this story ends and specifically how it ends for you. The first thing we see here is we see in in verses 1 through 2, we see the redemption of life. In verses 1 and 2, what does it say? It says, The angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb and through the middle of the street and in the city, also on either side of the river, the what? The tree of life. We have here in the city of God, in this kingdom, in this vision, we have the redemption of life. We're brought back to where? We're back, brought back to the garden. We're brought back to the tree of life. And the vision that John sees is he's in the city of God. There is both the river of life and the tree of life. It's the redemption of life. It was the tree that we were banished from in Genesis chapter 3, and now we were brought back full circle, able to drink freely from the river of life, able to eat freely from the tree of life. And not only does it say that the redemption of life is here, but it says what? Yielding 12 kinds of fruit in each month meaning there's never a month that it's barren there's never a month that it's dormant that there is not only life but there's an abundance of life you remember how we left Adam and Eve in the garden banished on the outside outside looking in not able to partake from the tree of life and here we have the redemption of life all of life the fullness of life and the abundance of life are given freely here in the new city, we're once again able to eat from the tree and drink from the garden and eat and drink in abundance. So the first thing we see is the redemption of life, the river and the tree. The next thing we see in verse 4, we see the redemption of relationships. In verse 4, it says, they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Think about how remarkable this is. All throughout the Old Testament, what did they want to do? They simply wanted to see the face of God. Moses specifically asked God, can I simply see your face? And it was denied. Why? What did the face of God symbolize? It symbolized the favor of God. It symbolized the fullness of a relationship with God. And because of sin, because of the fall in the garden in Genesis 3, what happens? Man can no longer look upon the face of God, which communicates that he had fallen out of favor of God. And all throughout the Old Testament, the the people in the Old Testament longing to see the face of God, longing to see the favor of God, because they were out of relationship with God. And what this says here is that we will now one day see the face of God, the fullness of His pleasure, the fullness of uh, of His favor, that His face will be in full view to us. And not only will the relationship be restored, but in case we ever question our security in Christ, in case we ever question our relationship with God, God goes a step further and says, not only will you see my face once again, but your, my name will be written on your forehead. You will forever be marked, so that you will never have to wander this side of heaven Will God love me forever? Will I be secure forever? No, through the work of the Promised One, not only is life redeemed, but the relationship that you've been longing for is redeemed. The relationship with God Himself where you once again see His face and experience His favor and His name is actually written on your forehead. The identity and the name, the new name you've been longing for is yours and it's yours, forever not only is this a city that we experience the redemption of life freely eating from the tree and from drinking from the river and not only is it a city where the relationship with God that we've been longing for that we've been separated from is once again restored forever but in verse 14 what does it say it says, Behold, uh, blessed are those who wash their robes. We see here in verse 14, we see the redemption of a very bad story. Because it also goes on to say that blessed are those that wash their robes. Why are they blessed? So that they might have the right to the tree of life and they may enter the city by the gates. Remember what happened in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve standing in their nakedness, standing in their guilt, standing in their shame, they are on the outside looking in, they are banished from the city, they are banished from the garden, they are banished from the presence of God. And here we are told that because of the work of the promised one, that they are now once again allowed to come back into the city. But it says that they are, they're wearing robes that are washed. What are they washed in? Revelation 7 tells us what they're washed in. It says that they would have robes that are washed in the blood of the lamb. You might recall in Genesis 3 when God banishes Adam and Eve from the garden. What will protect the entrance to the garden? Swords going in every direction which communicate what? That the only way that you can get back into the garden is you have to sacrifice your life. You cannot get back into the garden unless you go through the swords and you shed blood. The only way we're able to go back into the garden, the only way we're able to get back into the presence of God is there has to be a champion. There has to be one that goes before us, that goes through the gate for us, sacrificing their life. And it's that life, the life of the promised one, Jesus Christ. And it's his blood that was shed going back into the garden that we can have robes that are washed. It's the redemption of a really bad story. No longer on the outside looking in, but on the inside. And may we never forget that the only thing that separates us from those that are outside of the city is the blood of the Lamb that now washes our robes. You see, in verse 15, we are the dogs. We are the immoral. We are the ones that practice all types of falsehood. And the only thing that separates us from those that are outside the city is the robes that are washed in the blood of the lamb. And then in verse 17, it says this. In light of this redemption, the redemption of life, the redemption of a relationship, the redemption of a really bad story, in light of all of this, in light of this incredible vision of redemption. Verse 17, it says, The Spirit and the bride say, come. Who's the Spirit and the bride? The Spirit of God, but who is is the bride? It's the bride of Christ. It's the church. I love this. I love this picture here in verse 17. The vision that John receives of the invitation to those that need to come is actually from the Spirit of God and from the church. Those that have been bought by the blood of the Lamb are calling others to come. Don't we long for that to be what church is all about? That's what this church is all about. If you're new to Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church, this is a church that at least wants to be a picture, give a taste to the community. Hey, if you are thirsty, come. 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 What does it say at the end of verse 17? Come and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. Why? Why? Because the water's already been purchased. It's been purchased for you on behalf of the promised one. The promised one purchases the water of life for you and allows the saints, allows the church of Jesus Christ to say, come. If you're new to Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church this morning, we invite you to come. Come and drink of this water without price. You see, the reality is every single one of us this morning is thirsty. We are thirsty people. Thirsty for success, we are thirsty for approval, we are thirsty for beauty, we are thirsty for a good name, we are thirsty for money, we are thirsty for the, the answer to life, the meaning and the purpose of life, we are thirsty for new relationships, we are thirsty for a new career, you name it, fill in the blank, we are thirsty people. And the good news this morning is that Jesus Christ has experienced cosmic thirst on your behalf so that you can read these words this morning in verse 17 and go I no longer have to be thirsty I now have found the one the only one that can quench my thirst that I can drink of water with no price we all thirst and the reality is this this morning that through his life, and through his death, and through his resurrection, the Father invites you this morning to come. Come, if you're thirsty, and drink of this water so that you might never be thirsty again. In a few moments, we're going to celebrate communion And what I love about communion is it's an incredible picture for us of the Father standing at the end of the table and saying, on behalf of everything my Son has done for you, for those that believe in my Son, the Father invites you to come, to be reminded, to taste and see that the Lord is that the Lord is good. The Father invites you to come to his table to say, if you're thirsty, come and drink. If you're hungry, come and be filled and be satisfied. John Fountain, the uh, world-renowned journalist and former professor at the University of Illinois, wrote this piece for NPR. John Fountain said, I always envied the boys I saw walking hand in hand with their fathers. I thirsted for the conversations fathers and sons have. Simply feeling his breath, his heartbeat, his presence. As a boy, I used to sit on the front porch watching the cars roll by, imagining that one day one would park and the man getting out would be my daddy. But it never happened. When I was 18, I could find no tears that Alabama winter's evening in January 1979 as I stood finally face to face with my father lying cold in a casket. His eyes sealed, his heart no longer beating, his breath forever stilled. He was killed in a car accident. He died drunk, leaving me hobbled by the sorrow of years of fatherlessness. It wasn't until many years later, standing over my father's grave for a long overdue conversation that the tears began to flow. I told him about the man that I had become. I told him about how much I wished he had been in my life. But then I realized something. I realized fully in that moment that in his absence, I had found another. Or better yet, that he, God, the Father, God, my Father, had found me. You see, this morning, we come here to celebrate that the Father has come to find you. We come here to celebrate that God has, thousands of years ago has promised to send a child on your behalf to rescue you, to find you, to redeem you, and to fully love you. In your wildest dreams, could you have ever imagined such a God? In your wildest dreams could you ever have imagined such a figure as this? The good news this Christmas, the good news this Christmas is that because of the promised one, and only because of the promised one, Jesus Christ, this God can be known. And this God can be yours.